I want to begin with a story uh, tonight. Uh, it's about Jack and Grace. Uh, some of you may have heard this story. Uh, they, uh, they met through a mutual friend, and they seemed to be a perfect match. Uh, Grace was everything that Jack was looking for. Uh, she was beautiful, outgoing, and caring. Uh, she met uh, Jack's needs, and uh, she was always there for him. Uh, for the first five months, uh, Jack and Grace were inseparable. Uh, Jack had told his friends that she is the one. I don't have to look any longer. She's the one. Uh, almost three years now, and Jack, while he enjoys the comfort and familiarity of being with Grace, uh, the spark is gone, right? The spark is gone, and he's beginning to resent all the time that she demands from him, that she wants to spend with him. One night, Grace asked if they could better define the relationship, and Jack uh, kind of blew up, and he said, well, we're together, aren't we? Isn't that enough? Why do we have to define the relationship? Why do we have to make it formal? So obviously, Jack isn't ready for a commitment, right? And it's unclear if he ever will be. Have you ever known anyone like Jack? Anybody? Have you ever been in a relationship with, any, with anyone like Jack? You know, God designed certain, um, certain relationships to be defined by commitment and to be defined by passion. That's God's design for Jack and Grace. That's His design for them. But Jack is unwilling to commit. He's unwilling to, to be sold out to grace. In his relationship, uh, Jack is, is non-committal, right? He's, uh, he's me-centered. He's independent. He will not commit to grace. He's, he's, like, he's like a lover with a wandering eye. You know, he's just always got to look out. Maybe someone better will come along. So what do you think about grace? I mean, what, what do you think about Jack and how he's treating grace? What do you think about that? Any thoughts? I, we, had a few com we had a few comments in the morning congregation. Uh, well, you're not thinking about anything admirable, are you? I mean, a few words come to mind the way Jack is, is treating Grace. Um, something I need to tell you. Grace isn't a woman. Grace is a church. Jack's been dating her for a long time. But Jack will not commit. Jack will not commit to this local body of believers. Grace is a church. This is the way Joshua Harris introduces his, his book called Stop Dating the Church. And of course his premise is there are too many Christians in the world today just dating the church. They're not committed to the church. They've not sold out to the church as the Lord Jesus has called us to do. And so I'm going to exhort you tonight uh, to commit to this local church or whatever local church you affiliate yourself with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to commit. No more me-centered church, okay? No more uh, independent, uh, no more free agents. I'm going to challenge you to commit to your local church. Uh, Joshua Harris writes this, The strongest argument I know for why you and I should love the, and care about the church is that Jesus does. Could you make a better or stronger argument? The greatest motivation we could ever find for being passionately committed to the church is that Jesus is passionately committed to the church. So I want to stop right now and I want to ask you, and I want you to stop and think, are you like Jack when it comes to the church? Are you simply dating the body of Christ or have you committed to the body of Christ? Which is it? Are you like Jack? Are you giving yourself in love and service to the body of Christ? Are you standing at arm's length from the body of Christ? Oh, you're enjoying the benefits maybe of the fellowship and 
but are you really pouring yourself out into the body of Christ? This is what God calls us to do as Christians. Are you using your gifts in the body of Christ? Are you using your talents and your skills? God has gifted every one of us. And He hasn't gifted you uh, for any other reason that you might use it in the body. That you might use it to build up the body. Let me ask you, are you bringing your tithes and offerings into the body? We talked about this last fall in great detail. Jesus Christ has not asked you out on a date. Jesus Christ has called you what? As His church. Who are you as His church? What is the biblical metaphor? You are the bride of Christ. And He's committed to you. Let me ask you, friend, have you committed to Him? Have you reciprocated? Have you committed to Him like He's committed to you? You know, it's no accident that the Holy Spirit uses the marriage uh, metaphor as, as the relationship for the, the church to Jesus. It's the most uh, all-encompassing commitment that really a human being can make to another human being, is it not? Uh, it's the most all-encompassing commitment that can be made to have and to hold for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish for how long? Till death do us part. It's no mistake, there's no accident that the Holy Spirit is using this metaphor. This is the kind of commitment Jesus is calling His people to. <laughs> you know, and the, and the modern church is full of people who just kind of orbit around the church. They orbit and they, you know, they shop churches. And, and uh, I heard of one guy that, that he, would go to the, he would go to one church to hear the preaching. Well, first he would go to, to one church to hear the music because he liked the music. And he would leave that church and go to another church to hear the preaching because he liked that preacher better. Friends, this is not a consumer issue. This is the body of Christ and God has called us to commit to the body of Christ. If you just superficially read the Bible, there's one thing you know for sure. God's committed to His people. You can't come away from reading the Bible and not understand that God is radically committed to His people. He's made an eternal covenant with His people. An eternal covenant. God is committed to this relationship. Jesus Christ has wholeheartedly and passionately and sacrificially loved each one of us. And He's calling us to love His body like that. You remember uh, John 13, 34 passage. Uh, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. I've reminded you of this a lot as we, covered, uh, as we studied through 1 John. Uh, this is how Jesus has called us to love one another. <coughs> Last, last week we began this series, and again it came out of 1 John. What did we find out? I'm going to ask you again. What did we learn was one of the hallmarks of a true Christian in 1 John? What did God just keep saying over and over and over and over again? He says, my people do this. What was it? Anybody remember? Nobody remembers. Love the brethren. You know, he said three things that, that define a true Christian. They believe, they obey, and they love my this is what a true Christian looks like. This is what one of the things that we learned in 1 John. This is what an authentic Christian does. It's tangible. It's palpable. It's in his life. It comes through his hands and, and, and off his tongue. It's in his feet. He's loving and he's serving the body of Christ as the Lord Jesus has loved and served the body. 
And I'm going to call you, I'm going to exhort you, as I told you last week uh, through this series, to, to take your Christianity maybe more seriously than you ever have before. Because I'm going to call you to sacrificially love the body. This is Christianity 101. That's what this is. This is basic, fundamental Christianity. If we don't get this right, then we can't really do anything else right. If we don't get this right, then we're supposed to love one another and serve one another. If we don't get this right, we can't really do anything else. This is what Jesus has called us to. I love what Joshua Harris says. He says, this is not an optional command. What command is, right? What command of God is? But this is not an optional thing. This is not something you decide to do. Well, I'm just going to kind of hang out and keep the church at arm's length. I'm not going to commit. I don't feel like committing. Listen, friends, God doesn't ask you if you feel like committing. God says, my people commit to my body. And they love my body and they serve my body. This is what Christians do. And the modern church has really gotten messed up. <laughs> you know, I love, the, I love the title of Joshua Harris's book. You know, we're not supposed to be dating the church. We're supposed to be married to it. And we're supposed to love her and serve her and minister to her and give ourselves to her. <laughs> That's the image. That's the image, beloved. You know, um, the phrase uncommitted Christian is an oxymoron. You hear me say, everybody know what an oxymoron is? It's just a nonsensical phrase. It's a self-contradictory phrase. Nominal Christian or uncommitted Christian. It's an oxymoron. Because the definition of Christian, the biblical definition of a Christian is a sold out follower of Christ. So there's no such thing as a nominal or, Christ, uh, nominal or uncommitted Christian. You know, in the first century, when that name came that, that name arose and they started follow, uh, calling followers of Jesus. They started calling them Christians precisely because, oh, they followed Him. And they loved the body and they served the body. You didn't find nominal Christians in the first century. You know why? Because it cost so much. You didn't find people just hanging around the church because it was maybe fun to do or it was good for business or I made good friends or it was good for social contacts. You didn't find people hanging around the first century church because of those reasons. Because, you know, the, the, the first century Jew, if he became a Christian, man, he lost everything. He was de-synagogued. He was kicked out of the synagogue. And he was culturally ostracized. There's no such thing as a nominal Christian in the first century. And friends, there's still not supposed to be anything, any such thing as a nominal Christian in this day and age. But I fear that the world is, is I, think, I think the church is, is a flood with this mindset that I can be a free agent Christian. I can be a, an uncommitted Christian. I can be a nominal Christian. Friends, that's not biblical. It's just not biblical. It's false. It's false. No such thing... Biblically speaking, as an uncommitted Christian or a nominal Christian. The first century Christian understood Romans 12.1. You heard us read the text, and I hope you have your Bibles open. I'm just going to touch on Romans 12.1 and 2 again. I uh, didn't make all the points I needed to make last week. But uh, they understood about this thing where Paul says, Oh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. They got that. They understood that's what they signed up for. They didn't sign up to date Christ or to date His body. They signed up to marry Him and to love Him and to serve Him and to give themselves away to Him. This is what biblical Christianity has always meant. It's never meant anything less than this. Now, I know the church at large, there are many false expressions of Christianity in the world. 
And in and, and, and some churches, you'd go into them and you'd just think, well, all Christianity is dead religion. It's just rote and, and, and it's dead and there's no heart in it. There's no soul in it. There's no power in it. Friends, that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is a, is a, is a real relationship with the Lord Jesus. We've talked about this many, many times. I love, I love we talked about last week that, um, you know, the, our whole life, is, it's a 24-7 thing. Present our bodies a living sacrifice. I love how the King James translates the translation there. It, this is your reasonable response to this awesome God who saved you in such an unbelievably shocking way. If you read Romans 1-11, through 11, as I talked about in depth last week, if you're not in awe, you're not getting it. I, it's like I said last week, you have to be as dead as a hammer not to, not to see the, the, the beauty of God and the power of His salvation for His people. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. And, and so our response, our natural response is, is, to, is, is to vent this doxology that we have raising up in our hearts. You know, verse 33 to 36, it's just Paul's doxology. He said, oh, this awesome God, look how He saved me. And he breaks out into doxology, and that doxology is our bridge into living the Christian life. And that's what I want to talk a little bit more about tonight. Our God is breathtaking, and our salvation is shocking, friends. <laughs> it's shocking. Um, you were a haughty, arrogant, rebellious sinner against God. This is what the Bible says about us all. Oh, but now uh, we've been adopted into the family. Oh, now we're co-heirs. <laughs> now we're sons and daughters of God. You know, if this, is not, if this is not shocking to you, this awesome salvation, that I don't really think we're understanding it. Paul says, man, this God is so awesome and this salvation is so shocking. He said, this is my reasonable response. I'm going to present uh, my body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is my reasonable response. To this awesome, awesome God. I love what John MacArthur says about Romans 12.1. He says this, This call to give ourselves away in worship, it's not some mystical, falsely pious, monastic, monkish kind of thing. It's tremendously pragmatic. It's a call to meaningful, effective, passionate, God-blessed ministry. Did you hear him? This is what your call is. It's not to go be a monk. It's to give yourself away in loving and serving the body of Christ. And this is your baseline. We talked about this last week. This is the baseline of your evangelism. Because if we don't get this right, there's no way we're going to be able to evangelize anyone. If they don't see us living like we're supposed to live. You know, Jesus said, I give the world permission to judge you by the way you what? Love one another. And if we can't love one another and, and serve one another, give ourselves away to one another, you know, the church has a right to say, we, you know, you, you're, not, you're, not, you're not living what Jesus preached. You're not living what Jesus preached. And Jesus was crystal clear about the kind of commitment He was looking for in His people. Matthew 10, 37, 39. Jesus says, If you love your father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. He said, uh, If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. He said, If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. He said, Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And then He says something that uh, is repeated five times in the Gospels. There's no other phrase that I am aware of that's in all four Gospels and is repeated this many times in Scripture. Five times this phrase is, is repeated. Jesus says, He who finds his life will lose it. 
And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You guys understand what he's saying, right? You understand what he's saying. If we cling to our own natural life, our own temporal life, if we cling to these things, uh, uh, we will lose it all. But if we give ourselves away to Jesus and the call that Jesus has for us, he says, we will get everything. We not, only, we not only get Christ, but we get the life that God has designed for us to live. The life that gives us consummate joy, consummate meaning, and consummate purpose. I love the way C.S. Lewis said, he says, if you aim at the things of earth, you will ultimately lose everything. But if you aim at heaven, you will get heaven and all the good things of earth thrown in. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is what he's saying. He who finds his life here, he's going to lose it. But if you find your life in me, you're going to get it. You're going to get a God-sized life, the kind of life I designed for you to actually live. If it's your first concern to look after yourself, you're never going to actually live the life God's called you to. But as you learn, to, as Paul says here in 12.1, Romans 12.1, to give yourself away as a living sacrifice, then you will discover the God-sized life that God has for you. This is the beautiful echo of 12.1. As we give ourselves away in love and service and worship, we find the life God has prepared for us and called us to live. It's one of those countless paradoxes that, that uh, permeate biblical Christianity. And I'll just go down a list for you real quick. The giver what? What does the giver get? The giver what? What's the paradox? The giver receives. Right? Uh, the one who is poured out is what? Filled up. The one who surrenders is the one who gets the victory. The one who is humble is the one who is exalted. The one who forgives is the one who is forgiven. The one who dies to self is the one who what? Lives. The mystery and paradoxes of God's economy. This is how it is in God's economy. As we give ourselves away we find ourselves in giving ourselves away. Listen, you know, there's so many aimless people, even in the church. You know why? <laughs> you know why there's so many aimless people in the world and even in the church? Because we haven't learned this very simple thing. If we'll give ourselves away, we will find our purpose. We will find our meaning. We will find our deepest joy. It's in giving ourselves away to this awesome God and in love and in service to His beautiful Church, His body. So last week, just briefly, Romans 12, 1, God must be our fuel. If we're really going to love each other the way God calls us to love each other, we have to be in real relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we can't just be church members. You know, church members can't do this. Church members can't love like, like Jesus is calling us to love. You've you got to have a real relationship with God. God is our fuel. The second thing we saw was that we have to be sold out. We have to be living sacrifices. You can't be a non-committal Christian. You know, you might as well not even show up, in all honesty. You might as well not even come. Because this is, an oxy, this is biblically an oxymoron. To be a non-committed Christian, to be a nominal Christian, this does not please the Lord. We're, we're to be sold out to Jesus Christ. And the last thing we talked about last week was in verse 2 of chapter 12, that we would be perpetually transformed as we give ourselves over to the study of the Word and, and we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and transform us and renew our minds. And so if we do those things, we're poised. We're actually poised. 
You know, we're actually poised to do what God calls us to do. But there's one more thing that Paul says in verse 3, and this is my main point uh, tonight. I want to talk about commitment, and I've made that point, I think. And now I'm going to talk about what Paul's talking about in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. He said, hey, if you're going to live like this, you can't think more highly of yourself than you ought. So what's he teaching us? What's he teaching us? Humility. He says you can't do this. He says you can't do any of this without humility. <laughs> if you're not humble in spirit, you can't, you can't love like Jesus is calling you to love. You can't serve like Jesus is calling you to serve. It's never going to work. It won't work. You can't do it. You can't do it out of your natural heart. If you don't uh, come in humility, look what he says. He says, uh, for through the grace given to me, I say to every man, he's talking to every person in the church, that you're not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Now, Paul knows a lot about humility. Now, Paul was a perfect Jew. We know this, right? He was a perfect Jew. He was, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, the, the, the nation of Israel. Um, he was a Pharisee, and he was blameless. He was, a, what he called himself, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a perfect Jew. And I'll tell you what I told the morning congregation. What do you think being a perfect Jew means to God? About the same thing it means to be a perfect Baptist or a perfect Methodist or a perfect Presbyterian. It means absolutely nothing to God. Now you, can, you can keep rules all you want and not know Christ. You can be a good religious person and never meet Him. Paul was the consummate religious man on the planet. There may not have ever been a man more religious than Paul, but he did not know Christ. He did not know Jesus Christ. And then he met Him. <laughs> then he met Him and... And everything changed. And Paul became an expert on humility. He said, man, all that, all that religious rule keeping and all that self-righteousness, he says, you remember what he says? He says, it's dung to me now. Now that I know Christ, it's dung to me. And he understands humility. Remember what he told Timothy? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. Remember? He understood it. And friends, if we really understood Romans 1 through 11, we understand that you and I both, we're the chief of sinners too. If we've understood the gospel, we're the chief of sinners. We're right there with Paul. But let me ask you, have you learned Paul's lesson on humility? This is important for us, friend. We need to learn this lesson about humility. Paul understood the whole Romans 1 through 11 thing. And, 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 and he broke out into doxology there as the... As the as the, the, the chapter ended, Paul says, every Christian is called to this. We're not to be high-minded. We're not to have an exaggerated view of ourselves. We're not to be egotistical and vain and arrogant and conceited. We're not to be proud. Let me ask you, are any of you in here proud? You know how God feels about pride? You know what God says about pride? There, in Proverbs chapter uh, 6, God says, I hate seven things. <laughs> you remember what the first thing is? You remember what the first thing God says He hates? He says, I hate haughty eyes. That's the NAS translation, but I love the King James. I love the King James that says, God says, I hate a proud look. Now, how did sin, how did sin, how was sin birthed into the cosmos? Anybody remember? Remember Satan, he was the beautiful cherub that covereth. He was in the presence of God, but his heart was lifted up within him, and he said, I'll be like God. And, he, and he, was, he swelled up with pride. This is why God hates pride. One of many reasons he hates pride. But not only does God hate pride, remember what James 4, 6 says? <laughs> 
James 4, 6 says, uh, um, God is opposed to the proud. And, you know, we've talked many, many times about that great verse in, in Romans chapter 8 where God says, uh, God says, uh, Paul says, God is for us. Who can be against us? Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> if God is against us, who can be for us? And God is against the proud man. This is what he says. He not only hates pride, he opposes the proud man. Do you see why he's calling us to humility? You see why the Bible is calling, calling us to humility? God has a lot to say about humility. I'm just going to give you a snapshot and, and um, I'm just going to give you just kind of rapid fire some verses. The Bible says a ton more than this, but this is all, you know, just for sake of time. But Psalm 25, 9, God teaches the humble His way. Do you want to know God's way? It's humility. Humility, you'll find God's way. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low. Do you want to be brought low? Who in here wants to be brought low? If you're a prideful man or woman, you're going to be brought low. But a humble spirit will obtain honor. Do you want to obtain honor? God says be humble. Proverbs 22.3 The reward of humility and the fear of God are riches, honor, and life. This is the reward of humility. I love Micah 6.8 What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to do what? Walk in humility with your God. Isaiah 66.2 I told the morning congregation I always use this first when I'm going to teach something weighty. You know, something that, you know, in the modern church sometimes people will bow up. If you teach something hard, people will just bow up. Even if God says it, they just bow up. They don't want to hear it. And so anytime I'm going to teach something hard, anytime I'm going to teach a doctrine that's difficult and a doctrine that's not taught widely, but it's clearly taught in the Bible, I always start with Isaiah 66 too. God says, to this one I will look, to, the, to him who is humble, contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. I always use that when I'm going to teach a, a weighty doctrine. Because God says, I look to the man who's humble and who trembles at my word. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, I'm just going to give you about three verses on the church. Listen to what Paul says. And here's your job description, Christian. If you don't hear me say anything else tonight, here's your job description in this body and in the next body, wherever you go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Do you hear your job description, Christian? That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you're supposed to live in the body of Christ. Philippians 2, 3. Do, not, uh, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. It's the same thing Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. 1 Peter 5.5 5, Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Isn't that a great verse? Clothe yourself in humility toward one another. And then I'm just going to read from Colossians chapter 3, 12-14. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We talked about Ephesians 4.22 last week. God says you got to lay aside the old self. Are you doing that, Christian friend? Are you proactively laying aside the old self and putting on the new self? 
This is what God has called us to do. This is to be, we're in, we're in Milan, the fashion center of the world. Well, here's, here's, here's God's uh, wardrobe for His children. It's, oh, what is it? It's, it's a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and in all love, serving one another. This is our wardrobe. This is what we're supposed to put on spiritually. And it never goes out of style. It never goes out of style. And it's perfect for every occasion. We've got to be spring-loaded to keep those one another commandments. And I'm just going to give you a list. And if you want the, if you want the Scripture references uh, afterward, please, I'll give them to you. But this is not how Jack was treating grace. But here's how you're supposed to treat grace. Okay? Here's how you're supposed to treat this body. This is how I'm supposed to treat this body. Listen to what the Bible says. You're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to be devoted to one another. Let me ask you, <laughs> Christian, are you devoted to this body? Are you devoted to this body? You're supposed to honor one another. Let me ask you, beloved, are you honoring one another? Are you honoring one another? You're supposed to rejoice with one another. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We're supposed to rejoice together. We're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens. Are you, are you coming alongside and encouraging and carrying one another's burdens? We're supposed to forgive one another. Are you being forgiving in the body? You're supposed to encourage one another. You're supposed to be hospitable to one another. You're supposed to confess to one another. And you're supposed to pray to one another. Are you doing these things, beloved? This is what it means to be a Christian. As I thought about these things, my mind went to Matthew 5, 23 to 24 where Jesus says, if you're presenting uh, your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, what does Jesus say? Just keep on worshiping because it's no big deal to me. Or maybe do a Bible study on it or maybe pray about it. What does Jesus say to do? If we're in the middle of worshiping God and we remember that our brother has something against us, what does Jesus say to do? He says, you stop worshiping God and you go to that brother and you make it right. Now, if they, won't, if they won't forgive you, that's, that's, that's between them and God. But you've gone and you've done everything you can do to make it right. Friends, this is how big a deal this is with God. That everything is right in the body. And that you're behaving properly in the body. God says, don't come worship me if you're not right with your brother. This is how big it is with God. So I'm just going to challenge you right here tonight. If you've got something, uh, if there's a brother that has something against you or you have something against your brother... I'm going to tell you, go get it fixed, to go make it right. This is God's command. This is not my command. It's a big deal with God. God says, don't worship me if it's not right. If, you, if it's not right between you and another child of mine, it's a big, huge deal with God. I, as I, and I'm finished. As I was, uh, as I was uh, um, finishing my preparation last, uh, yesterday evening, I, I, uh, I asked the Lord to give me a gripping illustration. Just a, a gripping illustration on, about humility. Is anybody, can anybody thank the Lord led me? He led me to that passage where, you remember the night before the cross and, and uh, there were 13 men in the upper room and they all had dirty feet. And the, you know, the, the basin was there and the water was there and the towel was there. But nobody was washing anybody's feet. Usually a slave would do this, but there was no slave. Oh, God got up and girded himself 
And he poured the water into the basin. And he, and he took the towel and he went down and he knelt. This is God, by the way. <laughs> and he went down and he knelt in front of Peter's uh, feet and, and he began to wash uh, the dirty feet of the men he created. Now, friends, if that's not a gripping illustration of what Jesus Christ is calling you to do in the body of Christ, I don't know what is. I mean, that's an awesome illustration. I am, I am is on his knees washing the dirty feet of the men he created and redeemed. Do you get the picture? Do you see how serious this is with God? Do you see? Uh, and what did Jesus say to his men when he got through? He says, I have done this as an example to you that you may do it to one another. And so I'm challenging you tonight, I'm exhorting you tonight to love each other like this and to serve each other like this. This is what real Christianity looks like. As I told the morning congregation, this is Christianity 101. It's foundational. It's fundamental. And if you don't have this right yet, I'm going to challenge you to just step back and start all over again. Because if you're out doing stuff, if you're out trying to do ministry, if you're out uh, doing your Christian life, but you don't have this right yet, this is Christianity 101. We give ourselves away to Jesus. We give ourselves away in love and service to His body. This is where you start. This is where you start. Let's pray together. Beautiful Lord, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for uh, this challenge. All of us fall woefully short. But Father, we pray that You would encourage us in this area. That we would learn and, and be proactive in this. That we would not be passive that we would be proactive, that we would be looking for opportunities to love and serve the body. And Father, if, if a brother has something against us, we would go make it right. And if we have something against a brother, we would, we would go and try to get it resolved. We try to, as best we could, with all the power that is within in us, to make it right in the body. That's what you tell us to do. You tell us not to even come worship until it's right in the body. Lord, may we hear what you're saying to us, and may we... May we uh, May we follow your direction and be uh, committed in this way. And Lord, teach us humility. We all struggle with this. Teach us the kind of humility that Jesus showed us the night before the cross. Unbelievable that I am as washing dirty feet. But this is the kind of humility you've called us to. Lord, teach us about these things. We thank you for this message. We thank you for your word. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. In whose name I pray, amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And uh, we have open communion here, so all who have professed uh, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and followed Him in baptism, you're welcome to partake. Uh, we have open communion here. I'll give you the challenge that I always give you. You know, uh, Paul told the Corinthians not to come to the table in an unworthy manner. I think this is a pastor's responsibility every time we celebrate the table, not to come in an unworthy manner. You don't come up here and uh, partake of the elements uh, with unrepented sin in your heart. When you have no intention of, of laying down that sin, you have no intention of confessing that sin, don't come up here. You know, Paul says don't, don't come to the table like that. You know, if you're just coming up here because it's a ritual, if you're just coming up here because it's uh, something you've always done, it's just, it's just uh, formality, don't come up here like that. Uh, you come up here if you're willing to give your sin to Christ. And if you're willing to do, you know, the things that we were talking about, if you're willing to really give yourself over to Him, and, and, and that's, part, that's one of the things you're saying when you come up here, okay? 
So don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. And we're going to, pray, we're going to play a song. It's about four minutes long. Prepare your heart. Prepare your hearts. And, and, and uh, during the song, come up and get the cup and get the bread. Go back to your seat. And don't partake of the elements until I'm going to read a scripture at the end and then we'll partake of the elements, okay? So prepare your hearts, confess your sin, repent, uh, be, be right with God, come clean with God, and then come and celebrate what God has done, how God has saved us through His awesome and beautiful Son. Mm -hmm.